Welcome to Expert Minutes. I'm John McGuire, and today I am extremely excited to talk to Dr. Kay Thomas. Now, Dr. Kay is a renowned psychic and ritualist. She has worked with some of the world's biggest stars and corporations and has amassed a truly global client base. Kay is for women searching for more meaning and a deeper understanding of life. She's the leading women's spiritual empowerment mentor and has been featured in Vogue, NBC News, and Yahoo as a leading expert. So without further ado, here's Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate, how are you doing today? I am doing so well. And with an introduction like that, oh my goodness, I feel so good about myself. Thank you. As you should, you have had an amazing career so far and you are still going strong. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're working on now? I know you have just launched a Boundaries for Women in Business course. What's that all about? So I've been working for the last 15 years, really, um, specifically with women entrepreneurs. And the Boundaries for Women in Business is really a digital program that I created to give the teachings, I suppose, that I was sharing with my one-to-one clients to as broad an audience as possible. So I wanted to really compile all of the things that I have learned over the last 25, 30 years into a really accessible digital course, specifically for women that are finding themselves in really working with men in business situations. Because it's been my long experience that women, we're not socialized to have boundaries. We're actually encouraged, we're we're brought up to not have boundaries. And that's problematic for lots of reasons, but when you combine having no boundaries and trying to get ahead in business, it's extremely problematic. Like that is the thing that's often missing for women. So I wanted to create something that, you know, really could help as many women as possible to yeah, build businesses, build self-esteem, build positive business relationships. Now that's very interesting because a lot of your background is in psychic and ritualistic practices. How does that tie into business? So people are always surprised when, I mean, certainly about 10 years ago, when I first started working really seriously with large corporations as a psychic, I was uh, an industrial intuitive is like the technical term for what I was doing. But basically, I was a psychic for big businesses and small businesses. And when I would tell people, they would be so shocked, like that corporations, large, you know, household names would employ someone like me, a psychic to give them any information, let alone information that they based big decisions on. I mean, I worked on large mergers and, and acquisitions with some of the biggest corporations in, in America and in, in the world. So the connection between psychic work, ritualism, or rituals, and business is not modern. It is everywhere. It is hidden, but it is ongoing and has a long history as well. Like basically for as long as people have wanted to make money, they've wanted to get the edge on somebody else or in all their competitors. And really what an industrial intuitive offers is that edge. And the better the industrial intuitive, the bigger of an edge you offer. So you can charge more, I mean, as well. As you should be charging more for something like that, because it is a very specialized field that you're in. What led you to this field? You know, a lot of people when they're kids and they're growing up, one doesn't exactly say, I'm going to become an industrial intuitiveness. Right, like I definitely didn't. In fact, I wanted to be a barrister when I was growing up. I mean, when I first had a concept that work was going to be necessary for me to live. (laughs) Because I I don't think anybody actually wants to live. It's only because we live under capitalism that work is a thing. But when I first had this concept that work, you know, needed to happen for me, I thought, okay, fine, I'll be a vet because I loved cats. I loved animals. Like most children, I think, go through a period of time where, you know, they're like, I'll be 
something connected to animals. So I thought I'd be a vet. But then as I grew up and realized, no, that actually sounds like it might be not for me. I wanted to be a barrister. And in fact, my desire to, you know, work in, I don't know what the equivalent is, an attorney, I guess, in American. Pretty much. Yeah. I wanted to really work with people to write injustices. You know, the sort of 10, 12-year-old Kate just had this fierce, burning fury about injustice, which obviously has not left me. And I thought, this was the job that would help, you know, correct injustices in the world. This was the only option in my mind for that. So I decided that's what I was going to be. But the idea that that's what I would do stayed with me all the way, really, up until the age of 25. I mean, I was really still, maybe even later. I think I still, I applied for a law degree in my late 20s, like 28, 29, um, and thankfully did not pursue it because it would have been absolutely wrong for me but yes I didn't want to be a psychic I never wanted to be a psychic in fact despite having very strong psychic abilities since birth it was not a concept that I had even until I was about 12 or 13 and certainly not a concept that I associated with myself until I was much much older 16 17 and then it was terrifying and I didn't want anything to do with it well because it is in a lot of ways an entertainment job insofar as you're freelance, you are constantly having to be on, you're constantly having to pursue your own clientele, you're constantly having to put yourself out there and sell yourself and what you bring to the table as a psychic. Interestingly enough, you came up wanting to work in a job that would help people find freedom And in a lot of ways, you do still help people find freedom, albeit a different kind, because it's a spiritual freedom, right? Totally. Like, I feel like my desire to, you know, address injustice, there's no way that I could do it in a more powerful way than I am now. And I think it's just because we're not given, when we're growing up, I think generally, we're not given many options. We're sort of corralled into certain jobs, certain, you know, culturally and socially endorsed ways of working. Being a psychic wasn't a career option, and maybe it is now for people. But yeah, I think the work that I do now is, I'm immensely proud of it, not just because I'm able to get information, extra information that other people can't, and that helps liberate people from their own trauma often, or their own history, or their own past, but actually because the bigger impact of the work that I do, specifically in my, um, so I have a year-long mentorship called the Spiritual Life Upgrade, and it's working with those women in that community is the most rewarding, incredible experience because you can see, I'm able to see how all of my experience in the esoteric world, all the initiations that I went through, all of the studying that I've done both academically and personally are able to have practical, direct, positive impact on these women's lives. I can teach them skills that then they go on to utilize and change their lives fundamentally. So in that way, I think that there's no way that I would have had as much impact in a positive way on the liberation of women and the writing of injustice as I am able to have through the work that I do now. Well, that's amazing. Let's bring it back a little bit, though, because you said something very interesting. You said around the time you were 17, you wanted nothing to do with being a psychic. What drove you away from the idea? And ultimately, what led you back to that? Lots of things. The first was that I grew up in a family that was extremely anti-spiritual practice, extremely anti-religion, like dogmatic atheists. And so the experiences, the lived experiences I was having as a child of of seeing 
what I would describe as spirits, seeing the experiences I would have of knowing, getting information, having a very strong sense of what was going to happen and then it happening. These were totally unacceptable to my family, like completely unacceptable things. And so they were denied and then ridiculed to the point where it wasn't safe for me to express them anymore and I stopped expressing them so I it's almost a little bit like if you can see a color that nobody else can see but you keep trying to point it out and then they start ridiculing you for seeing that color you're just gonna learn to close your mouth when you see that color and so really it was only when I was 16 17 I left home at 15 that I was able to start to explore it felt safe for me to start to explore, to start, literally start to read, because this is pre-internet. I mean, I'm pretty old now. This is kind of wild to me. That, <laughs> I'm like, talking about a time when there was no mobile phones. Like, I didn't have a mobile phone until I was 24, for God's sake. You know, like, this is pretty intense to think about it like that. But you couldn't just Google something. You know, if you were interested in something, you had to find a book on that thing, and you were really lucky if that book was good. So, yes, it wasn't really until I was 16 and 17 that I was able to start educating myself on what the phenomena was or might have been or may be that I was experiencing. And then at that point, because I'd been so brought up with this, you know, fear of the unknown, I think, is, is really what materialism in indicates. But that's a philosophical discussion, of course. But because I was brought up with this absolute denigration of psychic work and the idea that psychics were fraudsters, the idea that anyone claiming to receive or being able to have access to information beyond what was physically visible was just clearly lying and a cheat. I had so internalized that. I absolutely believed that deeply. And so it was abhorrent to me, the idea that I was still able to see these things and trying to convince myself that it was real. So huge, huge, huge sense of, I guess, a sort of form of dysmorphia where I just couldn't look at myself, didn't see the reality, wasn't able to. And as to how I came back to it, I ultimately feel like I have no choice. It's who I am. It's what I am. You know, it's a bit like a dog trying to pretend to be a cat. They're not. They're a dog, you know. And I felt very unable to do anything to get rid of this ability. And so as much as I tried, it just, you know, it was bombarding. And I think one of the challenges, the biggest challenges in my life has been learning how to manage these abilities and this psychic ability and having access to information that other people don't it's been one of the biggest traumas of my life and learning how to manage everything around that which is why I teach what I do and why in the spiritual life upgrade this mentorship I literally teach women how to not just manage and handle any intuition they may have but tap into it and harness it and use it for their own good and for the good of others so I don't think I ever sort of got to the point of choosing to be a professional um, psychic uh, really until probably only about five years ago where I and it didn't even feel like a choice it felt a little bit like okay I'm giving up on fighting against this I'm just going to swim with it you know instead of swim against it well it's a calling you know I know many people in many fields who always wanted to pursue the arts and what you do is very much artistic I know many people who've had their spirits squashed by their families and their desires to go and live the life. And they've went and they've played it safe and ultimately always come back to it because it is a calling. It's something that you can't deny. It's something that is ingrained inside of you. And I can't imagine what it would be for you to also have to deal with the spiritual aspect of it as well. Talk to me a little bit about 
going to Oxford, though, whilst dealing with all these surrounding energies and how you were able to kind of tie that together and bring yourself to where you are today? So I applied to do a PhD in Catholic theology at the University of Oxford. And the reason that I decided to do that was because part of my struggle with the way in which I am in the world, what I was experiencing was I, I wanted to rationalize it. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to intellectualize it really. I still have that desire. I'm like extremely, uh, what's the word? I'm not anti-intellectual at all. And I think that's actually quite a rarity in the in the spiritual and the new age world. There's, there's this mistake, mistaken thought that spiritual is anti-intellectual. And I think that's only very recently has that been the case. If you look at any of the, you know, true histories of the most incredible spiritual traditions, they're all actively engaged in intellectual pursuits. So part of my desire to go back to university and do a PhD was primarily motivated by a desire to understand more comprehensively what it was that I was experiencing. And so I applied to Oxford and more shocked than anyone else was I that I got in. So I started my PhD there and it was incredible to be in a community of you know where people were genuinely interested in thinking and exploring thought and phenomena and experience but <laughs> what I learned really quickly was that I was very naive and of course of course like all structures I guess of power all institutions that are so intimately connected to the structures of power that exist in in our world and Oxford of course is like the primary certainly for for the UK feeder of our government right there's not many people in our people that have literal you know governmental power prime minister the cabinet who haven't come through Oxford this is directly evidenced in the way in which Oxford is run how it works who is allowed in who is not allowed in and it became really apparent to me that I was obviously a big mistake for them like they should they if they'd have known who I was and what I was actually interested in doing which was to say to truly think and explore and challenge oppression primarily they wouldn't have let me in so you know it was probably five of the hardest years of, of of my life not intellectually difficult that was not a problem I had papers published my work was extremely well received everywhere <laughs> except Oxford and even parts of Oxford but socially and culturally that culture is one of Oxford University is just the absolute epitome of sexist racist misogyny and yeah it was an absolute hell it was a hell five years of extreme sexist oppression I guess is the best way of putting it and because the nature of the work that I was doing I was critical of the way in which the Catholic Church dealt with and deals with to this day women mystics my work was considered very controversial and I was you know they tried to get rid of me in, in lots of different ways and they ultimately did not did not succeed so I'm proud of that but yeah, not something I would recommend. I would say one out of 10, absolutely avoid. <laughs> well, that is a very good review for TripAdvisor, I'm sure. <laughs> Stay away from Oxford. Now, with that being said, you know, you did come out with a PhD, and that has to add a very, very good layer of legitimacy because there is a lot of power to the word doctor, right? So, it sounds to me like a lot of what you are bringing 
to your Boundaries for Women course, you probably gleaned from your years at Oxford. And yeah. is it the case where it's the hardest five years of your life, and at the same time, you now have the power to empower others to not have a hard road like you did? Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about that experience and how it ties together. Yeah, absolutely the case. And ultimately, the it makes it worthwhile. And it really is. It's been six years since I've got my PhD. And it's been a really, really long time. It's taken that long for me to be able to say hand on heart, yes, it was worth it. But it's only that that makes it worth it is that absolutely going through surviving that experience of being like deeply persecuted in an incredibly powerful institution where I have no power and I'm like a cis white woman so I've got quite a lot of structural power compared to the most oppressed in even in that community but coming out of that experience and surviving it and then going on to thrive absolutely without doubt has allowed me to I suppose, you know, condense all of the lessons that I learned, not just practical lessons either, but I mean, lessons about energy, like I understand how energy works through my own, you know, study and um, practice of the esoteric arts over the last 22 years. But it is really, really tested when you have that knowledge and experience and you're put in front of a situation where you have an incredibly powerful organization. They would much prefer me to die than to walk away with a PhD with their name on it. Absolutely. And many of my friends did indeed die. I sort of find it difficult to adequately express like how awful and deeply, deeply sort of intrinsically evil the system is there. And so when you can have that combination of experiencing esoteric learnings, understanding practically how this is how energy works and this is what one needs to do to protect oneself energetically, but then be thrown into the fiery pit of hell <laughs> of like British colonialism, sexism, misogyny and classism and have to really utilize those skills. Like, holy shit, did I have to utilize those practices? I came out and I was like, yes, I need to somehow condense this into learnings that women that don't have to go through all of that that wouldn't possibly be able to because I have as I say so much structural privilege already that allows me to survive that gives me so much more ability to survive something like that I wanted to create something for them and ultimately that's what I've done so both the spiritual life upgrade the, the mentorship which is last full year and this much smaller more condensed and specific boundaries for women in business program I mean, it's all come from surviving those experiences and with that intention of thinking, okay, what have I learned? What are these fundamental truths? What are the absolute like core pieces of knowledge that I wish I had known right at the beginning? I'm going to create a course about that. And that's what I did. Fantastic. So when we wrap up these episodes, we like to ask a couple very key questions to the people we interview. And one of them is, what are you most proud of? Looking back on your life and your career in this business, what is the thing that you're most proud of? I honestly think the thing I'm most proud of is the creation of the Spiritual Life Upgrade. So this is my 12-month mentorship, and it's really a, an incredible community of trauma survivors, of women who are really smart really funny and very kind and come from all over the world, literally all over the world. 
and have nothing on paper in common other than a true desire to improve their lives, a belief in the importance of kindness. I mean, I know that sounds like such a sort of glib, trite thing, but actually it's so central, like everybody is so kind in that community. And that kindness allows for a vulnerability, a communal vulnerability. And in my experience, when you are able to be vulnerable, you're able to be seen. And when you feel seen, you're able to transform the bits of yourself that you don't want. And so I'm incredibly proud of the community that I have started and that is now you know, self-sustaining that grows. Every month I invite in 10 new women to join. There's a limited amount of space. The people that join are always absolutely right. So it's not a sort of, it's by invitation only, but I want everyone that feels an alignment with what's on my website to feel like it's worth applying because the types of women that are in this program, you know, there is not one type. It is literally, as I say, I suppose the three things that they have in common is that they are kind, they're really desiring change and that they're smart and they're ready to sort of show up. So yes, it's an amazing community. It's an amazing group of people and it is truly life-changing. I mean, I sort of humbly say, I know that it, it is and does change the women who join without exception, it changes their lives. And that makes me immensely proud. I love it. And my final question to you is one of mentorship in a way for people who might want to get into the business that you're in. Granted, it's a little unorthodox because there really is a spiritual calling involved in what you do. What would you recommend to them? I would say, in all seriousness, the first thing is to get really clear boundaries. <laughs> I think this is good advice for everyone in any industry, but it's particularly important if you're considering or you find yourself to be, let's say you feel yourself or you know yourself to have strong intuitive abilities. The first thing you are going to need to get are, are boundaries because the nature of intuition is of being able to move your energy into spaces and places that it shouldn't ordinarily be or would not ordinarily be if you didn't have this ability. So I have the ability to, you know, when I'm employed by Fortune 100 companies, I have the ability to sit in at my desk in, in London, close my eyes and see what is going on somewhere else, however many hundreds of miles away, however many days ahead into the future. Now, that is a boundary issue, right? And so the ability to open and close boundaries is absolutely core and fundamental. But if you don't have a good handle on that in your everyday life, then you're going to be absolutely burnt out. You'll be utterly exhausted. If you don't know how to charge correctly for your time, you're going to feel exploited. And ultimately what happens, and I see this so often with clients and with students of mine and people that you know message me on instagram is that so many psychics in the world are so exhausted they're so burnt out they are so unwell and it's because they're not charging properly and if you don't charge correctly for the amount of energy you're giving out you're ultimately running a deficit constantly and you will get to a point where there is nothing left so boundaries you must you must get boundaries yes very cool dr kate it's been amazing talking to you why don't you tell our listeners where they could find you on social media Thank you so much. So I am on Instagram at Kate Thomas PhD, and that's K-A-T-E-T-O-M-A-S. I do not have an H in my name, Kate Thomas PhD. And my website is drkatethomas.com. Excellent. 
Folks, thanks for listening to Expert Minutes. I'm John McGuire. And remember, if your day job is not your dream job, keep hustling. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.